Welcome back, Clinice, to season two, episode four. Um, today, we, <laughs> <laughs> I always fuck that up. Um, but today I, but what no one else saw is that I held up four, four fingers. <laughs> it's episode four, Ash. We have, um, oh, you told me not to say special. Okay, we have a guest today. We have a <laughs> mediocre guest. <laughs> this is um, our close friend, Alex. He works with law enforcement and he's a mental health clinician. Mental health clinician? Clinical therapist? What do you want to call yourself? CT, clinical therapist, clinician, all the above. Okay. He's all of them. Sounds very fancy. Oh, yeah. You don't need a back. Do you have a gun? (laughs) Right here? Just kidding. Oh, my God. Just kidding. I know you don't have a gun. I just thought it'd be funny. Um, Okay. But first, before before we have to talk about Alex and all the cool things he does. Hot Toppy. Hot Toppy. My favorite part of the whole podcast. <laughs> okay, never mind. Sorry, I'm going to try not to cough. That was such bullshit. First of all, this is – I'm just going to put it out there, Alex, because I'm passive-aggressively going to refer to it later. This, what, this is uh, how some people say, long-time listener, first-time caller. No, this is first-time listener, first-time calling for Alex. He has not listened to our podcast. He didn't even know the name. I'm going to try to – No, it's <gasps> – Motherfucker. It's a uh... – it's clinically impressed with like an I am like capital. Wow, he did his research. That was dang, that was impressive. You. He deserves. <laughs> he's gonna get some merch after today. <laughs> Trust the friend yes. of the pod. <laughs> okay, so I have three possibles of what we could talk about today. I mean, we could talk about all three of them if we want to. Just start with um, one. I don't know if it's about to get loud in my background, but I hear a helicopter very close to where I am. I don't know what's going on. I don't on. hear it. Um. Okay, so there's three big things that's all over my TikTok that I want to talk about. One is, and I don't know if you guys seen any of these things, but one, there's this drama in a New York lesbian bar that's all over TikTok. I have it's not heard about this. <laughs> no? Oh my gosh. So there's drama there. Then the girls are fighting. There's drama with Megan the Stallion and Nikki. Minaj. I did hear that one. Okay. That one's good. Oh my God, that it's one's crazy one too. And then there's the Keith Lee drama that's in Texas. Do you guys know who Keith Lee is? Isn't he the country singer? What the fuck? No. No, that's Keith Lee. Lee. Keith oh Lee. Yeah. Anybody Keith named Keith he's Lee? He's this like country? super pure, sweet human being who does these like food reviews. He's just like this normal oh, guy. Oh, yes, I know who you're the food critic guy. Everybody wants him to come out there and, and critique their food. Yeah, because he has like this crazy amount of like followers and people, yeah. whoever he like goes and sees, like people really respond and react. And also, yeah, so those are about three hot topics. Which one do you want to cover? Which one sounded um, the most fun? I think we hit all of them. Yeah, start with number one. Hit all of them. Okay. Let me just give a little play-by-play of the lesbian bar situation. Okay. So this white straight woman makes a video and it's very much like, get ready with me as she's like putting her makeup on Uh or whatever. I don't think she says get ready with me. But she starts talking like, I have a question for everyone and gives this detail of how her – her and some gay friends. I can't really remember how she ended up in this lesbian bar in New York. But she was there. Mm -hmm. And then one of – her male straight friends came to the bar as well. Basically, she goes in this spin of how are straight men not allowed in lesbian bars because some lesbian told us that we needed to leave. You need to leave. That kind of thing. Okay. And the drama from that is everybody like reacting to it and being like, yeah, lesbian bar. Yeah. <laughs> and Did then they not get the, memo? the woman, the what? Did they not get the memo? I guess not. I don't know. It just comes across super – her original video just comes across so gross and very, like, performative ally because it's like, I've been to gay bars all the time and I've never been treated like this. And then a bunch of people were chiming in and being like, mm, what did your, your – your straight male friend sound sus? Why did he get called out? Why did he get told he wasn't allowed to be there? But anyway – it's dramatic. It's all over. And um, the woman supposedly who threatened to kick them out, not threatened to kick them out, but I think more um, told them like they shouldn't be there. She made a video. Oh, oh, it's crazy. What did she say? What is her take on it? Uh, her take was obviously very different. She was like, it did not go down like that. Oh. <laughs> and was more, I get. I think she interacted with a guy because he was like blocking the bathroom door or something. And she was like, dude, you're in the way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then. It might have just been like 
I don't know if you guys have ever talked to a straight guy in any type of situation, but it's not always <laughs> comfy, especially in a bar. <laughs> I've never spoken to a straight guy before. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Though, so, no matter what, a bar is a very specific type of like weird. Energy. I don't know. I, I, yeah. There's just some. There are some bars that you walk into that has weird energy. I've never felt that in a gay bar before. Mm. So I would guess that maybe the straight dude in the gay bar was given off that weird energy. Mm. It just feels very confrontational. That's that's the word that I would mm. use. So he was the elephant in the room. I think so, probably. <laughs> Actually, what's your take on this? Anyway. What I think so my I bring this up to say, hot take. What do you guys think? Man, I, I mean, if you're going somewhere where the label is gay bar and you're going, what, what is the intention of even going there? I don't get it. Why are you bringing your straight friends to the gay bar and then ex- not expecting some sort of reaction from people? Mm-hmm. That's my take. Alex, any thoughts? I, I mean, I want to be included. You know, like I would love to go to a gay bar, a lesbian mm-hmm. bar, whatever you say. But I get it. I mean, you know, I'm taking up space for other people, you know, that might mm. might be there to, you know. Uh, do their thing, but I still want to be included. <laughs> I yeah, I think it's interesting. I was really thinking about it watching all these videos last night because the drama was drama ing. The tea was piping hot. But I was thinking about <sighs> these people, there are disenfranchised people who, because they don't feel safe, will then leave and create a safe space. And then the initial group who had the power who had the control and were the cause of the disenfranchised feeling unsafe they now come to the alternative space Mm -hmm. and what demand to feel safe maybe you don't get to feel safe here this isn't your space hot take oh i'm just saying yeah i like (laughs) i like that i like that i just think it it's um, I remember this being an issue a little bit ago. I think it was like with female gyms. And I don't know, because there used to be certain mm-hmm. gyms that had like a woman's only section. Oh, wasn't it like life fitness or or oh I remember it had like something. purple lettering on the on the billboard or whatever. Oh, I know what you're talking curve or yes, something. Yeah. And that's a female yeah. gym. But but there yeah. was there was something that happened a while ago um where it was a gym and at that specific gym they had like a fe- a women only section. Uh-huh. And men were mad about it. And I think there was – I think they were mad because – or, like, a couple men, not all men. A couple men were mad. And I think it was because there was, like, some unused equipment and they wanted to, like, use equipment mm. that was full over here. So they went into that space and then got hit with some hostility, right? Right. Um, and it's that same thing of, like, okay, this space was created because the women didn't feel safe over there. Mm-hmm. And be. And so you can't come over here, invade the space, and you demand to feel safe. Mm, I see what you're saying. It's like that. Yeah, I just. Ugh. Sorry, I don't even know where, really where I'm going with that. Just ew. I, you well, know what, well, Alex? You know, ugh, I just feel like I'm and I really want to go now, but I get, you know, that's not possible. Anyways, no, what's the next hot topic? Because I'm, I'm into this. This is all hot topics. Forget about all hot. I love hot topics. It's like literally my favorite. Um, have you guys listened or seen the video? Hiss, Megan the Stallion. Um, yes, and I've heard the rebuttal bit song. God, by the Nicki end Minaj. Of that. The, the end of that fucking song is so. It's cringy, right? Unhinged. Okay, so I don't need cringy. Is not enough. Just. The ASMR she does at the end, like, if you don't take back what you <laughs> said. Like, it's just uh, yeah. so yes. crazy. It went on for so long for me. I'm like, I'm actually getting freaked out. I'm going to turn this off. Did you hear it? I didn't the, hear it, but I, I want to. You didn't hear it? No, oh, I saw it. part of it. I saw, like, the TikTok videos of people. Of people. Sorry, I don't know how close this is. Sorry, Bex. I could barely fucking hear you. Oh. Sorry. No, but I, I want to watch it. It seems like a good – everyone on TikTok is kind of responding in like a, a really so dramatic amazing. way. I, yeah. So at first I only saw like the people stitching in or like commenting mm-hmm. on Nicki Minaj's video. So the first – or not video, but um, her song. So the first time I heard the song, I thought it was fake no. because of yeah. – like I thought it was a joke. Like, oh, this what is someone's like joke on it. Mm-hmm. She, 
it's just it's a lot. No, it's whose just side too are much. you on? Nikki's or Megan's? Nikki Minaj had a full meltdown supposedly because of one line in that song and said that you know Megan came after her family. Megan's line that came after her family was about Megan's law. So if you are reacting because you're mad someone said Megan's law, you you ooh, you need to take a look at I'm sorry that your family is registered on Megan's law, but that sounds like a real <laughs> fucking problem. I just I mean, I'm not saying I you got to cut people off, but you know, maybe you should have thought about that before you I married think- that dude who was a sex registration. I, I, I think mean, the beef went deeper than that though. I think there was comments about Megan staging her um her foot getting shot or something like that and there was more beef along the lines of Megan calling Nikki out for the loss of her father or saying something about her father. And so it was more, I think the beef was thicker and then they made these songs to talk about each other. Thicker. Potentially. Like do I know all of the drama? Is even all the drama real? I have no idea. One of my favorite parts of it though is that one part where, because Drake made that song where he like kind of talked shit about Megan. I think like get into some type of surgery or maybe he even said BBL, which I don't think she's had. Oh. But then in her song, she says something about basically talking shit about BBL when you got the same scars. And there's been a bunch of accusations that Drake's had. Um, I think it's not a BBL, obviously, but I think he's had a, or at least doctors or people who have like looked at his pictures before and after and talked about like potentially some, some type of cosmetic surgery, which who cares? Get all the surgery. Why do they? Why does anyone have questions about something else like that? But, people do that all the time. But my favorite part of Nikki's is when at the end she's like, "We ain't gonna talk about your surgery or your nose. That's a topic for another time or something like that." Damn, it's like, coming! Oh my gosh! And she didn't even sing that part. She talked it. She just was talking oh for my like God. three minutes in the song. I'm team. It's Nikki. wild. Team Nikki out. A fantastic. You what? I'm team Nikki. He's you know. Team Nikki. I just I love the amount of petty that she's doing just off of one one line. Just resonates with me. <laughs> I because you could be triggered so just petty. as easily. Yeah, I think I'd be that petty. Just say one, yeah. <laughs> the one line. I don't know if if the if what I got so upset about was the <clears throat> bum bum in my family history. I might need to question my my reaction a little bit. <laughs> be like, Long yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, they're calling out my sex registry family ties. Yeah, that's pretty rough. That sucks. Oh, yeah, she did have a history of that stuff. Well, it's her husband and her brother. That supposedly mm-hmm. is the like the issue that they're on Megan's law. I don't know what that and is. First of all, Maybe how long? They register huh? sex offenders. Oh. How the fuck are you in mental health and you don't know what right? I've never is? heard of it. Bro. <laughs> what? Yeah, never even heard of it. Oh, Jesus. Okay, we're right. going to skip over. Skip right over that. I'm calling Olivia Benson when this is over, and she's coming after you. Still don't even know who that is. Of Law and Order. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh my god! I'm having such regrets right now. <laughs> Tune back next week. <laughs> Tune back next week. <laughs> when they I'm cutting this episode <laughs> right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, my last thing. My last hot topic. Dude, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. You guys don't know who Keith Lee is. No, no idea. I know who he is. I just thought he was. Have you watched no. his video? Yeah, yeah. When I- uh, well, okay. I'll I'll describe it a little bit then. The big thing because he does these like food tours. There's I. He's just so great. I love I love his videos. Um, but he and he's really like a he or at least he appears to be just a yeah. very sweet, genuine person. He went to this food truck. And I think it was in Texas and he was invited there, mm-hmm. asked to go. Cause usually I think he goes to places he's invited and like asked to give a review. Right. He goes, loves the food. Mm-hmm. And then he gives the owner, I th- I'm a not going to get these numbers. Correct. Huh? They get, he gives them a rating, right? On his TikTok video. Yeah. But let me finish. Oh, okay. He gives the owner $4,000. Oh, dang. Not just a rating. This video is him giving the owner a specific amount of money. And I don't think he gave it in cash. I think that's, one where the problem like began Uh but he gave her money but gave her verbal like direct directives i guess you could say Uh on where they should go like 
$1,000 is your tip. I want $1,000 to the barber who's given free haircuts over in the parking lot. I want $1,000 to go to the braider. And then $800 to go for free food for that amount. For $800 something, the next people who eat, oh. cover, I'm covering the bill for the next $800 something. Uh-huh. Okay. She didn't do none of those <gasps> things. And the absolute reactions from everyone on the internet is wild. Her business is now, I believe, closed. What did she do with it? She kept it. And then, like, doubled down and was basically like, I didn't have to give it to anybody. And everybody was like, well, he gave you money and said to to give it to those people. And I think the reason that he had to say it, because I think he, like, Venmoed it or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the details of, like, the transaction, but I believe it was something like that. So, like, the barber has made videos. The girl who was doing the braids made videos reacting, being like, nah, she didn't pay us. Oh, shoot. What's the worst part is there's a video of him talking to the the lady who owns the business Uh and saying a thousand blah, blah, blah. Like, the directions are on a video. So, the receipts are in 4K. And oh it's gosh. just bad. Her, she just tanked her whole business doing that dumb stuff. It's really sad. One, my, and I don't want to call it a hot take, I guess, but I saw one video that was talking about, um, like, basically how she fumbled the bag. But I was thinking about this, because I don't, I know nothing about that woman. But potentially, it's it's kind of like um, when you get in this survival uh, lifestyle, and if like there's not enough resources, like how if if it's the end of times, yeah. people would kill others for the last piece of food or something, you know, like if you get into a survival mode. And so I was just very curious on how what other people might call greed might have just been um, her reaction to suddenly being bestowed something when she lives a life of desperation. I know nothing about her. But what if? You know, if you can't afford food and you can't afford rent and somebody gives you $4,000 and then says, hey, disperse this, and you've never held $4,000 before, what do you do? Do you think that if she would have been honest, maybe it would have changed the narrative? Maybe if she would have said something like that, it would have changed the narrative. Maybe. I mean, the reality is it wasn't her money and he gave it to her. And, you know, obviously she should have dispersed it the way that he asked, clearly. Mm But I think if her reaction hadn't have been doubling down on her decision and versus right away, like, you know what? I just don't, I don't have the money. I don't know the reality of her life, but if she would have responded with something like, I can't afford rent. I'm so sorry I did this. I, you know, it sounds like greed, but really it was need. Mm. Maybe, but I don't know. I don't know her, but uh, it's all over. That's for sure. People are upset about it. Wow. That's an interesting hot take. Hot Keithley, take. I liked him. Hot take. Hot take. I like his little monotone TikTok videos. Today, I'm going to rate- Monotone? Oh, I think he gives good inflection. I like it. Today, I'm going to rate this chicken sandwich on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> oh, those. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I like I like when people, uh, <laughs> when they like stitch in or they use his sound. There's that one sound I love where it's, uh, it's and people are always like, POV, you taste your grandma's biscuits or something. And it's like him- his words going, oh, for show you right on. <laughs> I just, I, I love him. I think it's great. That's funny. Um, okay. Okay. Let's get into it. Alexander the Great. Oh, I like Ooh, that. Has anyone ever you called like you it? that before? I've, I've never been. No, I regret so. calling you that now. Um, so let's talk mm-hmm. about it. So Alex works with law enforcement going out onto pretty serious mental health calls as a clinical therapist. Tell us a little bit about your experience. About my experience. Yeah. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Did you touch the pew pew? <laughs> I don't get to touch the pew. Oh my God. <laughs> they actually call it the pew pew. I don't get to touch the pew pew, but all of our calls are crisis calls. So they're all going to be, mm. they're all going to be calls um, coming in from dispatch. Um, it's it's kind of when you say crisis what does that mean oh geez facts because a crisis could be a house on fire what is a crisis in your work yeah i think crisis is subjective to everybody because especially in i don't want to give away the city i live in i think the the crisis might be um a little bit of a fizzle instead of a a crisis i would say for most of my calls the, the crisis consists of 
typically the family not being able to handle their child or son or brother, whoever it is, and it's basically come to a head. So it's been 10, 15, 20 years of them dealing with this. And all of a sudden they're like, I'm done. I'm sick of it. I'm going to call 911. Dealing with what? Undiagnosed mental health. Mm. Or diagnosed mental health and refusal to comply with medication, uh, Mm -hmm. refusal to adhere to a treatment plan by their therapist or, you know, you name it. It's it's all the above. And so typically. A mental health crisis. Mental health crisis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because of the nature of my job. I, I don't really go on anything else that's not mental health related. It, um, even though I do work with law enforcement, our team is comprised in a way where we put ourselves on the calls. So we don't get dispatched. We will kind of read the board and we, oh. yeah, so we kind of read the board mm-hmm. and we'll see like a 415 family come out, which is just a, another code for uh, like a, like a family disturbance. And then mm-hmm. we'll click it. We'll read it and be like, ah, is it mental health related? Sometimes we don't know until we get there. Sometimes the call, sure. yeah. Sometimes the call kind of uh, opens up into mental health, um, or we'll put ourselves on a call because it looks like it's going to be mental health, and then we get there and it's just like, okay, this is this is just uh, you know a husband and wife arguing over who gets to keep the dog, you know, and then mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with it. Oh uh, yeah, drama, drama, yeah. Which and, and honestly, yeah. those are my favorite calls <laughs> because. I get to obviously. <laughs> you get to pick a side, or I what? get to pick a side. I get to kind of be like a, a spectator, and my partner gets to do all the work. Um, mm, that's okay. fun. Yeah. Do you wear a vest? <laughs> I do wear a vest. Um, yes. It's it's a it's a pretty thick one, um, but it doesn't have much on it. There's no weapons, no like pepper spray, no handcuffs, none, none of the stuff that you see mm. the police wear. It's I. <laughs> In in the little pouch that you would put like the pepper spray, I have a little mm-hmm. hand hand sanitizer little thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, obviously <laughs> that I gotta tell you that's priority number one. Yeah, hand sanitizer. Um, priority priorities. And it's and it's very obviously different from law enforcement. They they distinguish who's law enforcement, who's the clinical therapist. So when I roll up, people will still think I'm law enforcement. I think up until the point where we start interacting. Um, yeah, the vest obviously kind of makes you. Yeah, so it's a gray vest. It's a it's a vest that stands out. Um, it has my. Does it say anything on it? It it does. It says in huge writing, "clinical therapist," pretty much all across my chest. Sick to so, identify yourself, to so identify people can myself, read read it. Which people still will assume that I'm a police officer that's a clinical therapist. So they mm. they still kind yeah, of get nervous. They still have that um, fear. The fear, exactly. What do you think the fear stems from? When they think you're a cop, now they're afraid. What's that? What's that about? That's like the whole purpose of why they created this program. I think because of that fear, I think it's, it's the kind of the way, the way I'm seeing my job is I I feel like they're, they're using us as to kind of like bridge the gap between how law enforcement has kind of developed the stigma. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's a Mm -hmm. good way to develop the stigma with the community and they're trying to help that. That stigma, I guess, go away in the best way we can. And so, um, uh-oh. sorry, mental health services. Yeah, sorry, her, so, her dog threw me off. But question for you: On an it. average day, how many how many crisis calls do you feel like you intervene in? Mm. You end up intervening in. Hmm. I think I think if if we put ourselves. 10, eight all day, we would probably, cause I work a 10 hour shift. We, mm-hmm. we try to mirror the law enforcement shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will work a 12 hour shift. Should we wait for backs? Okay. Keep going. Um, so we could probably do five to six calls a day and that's consisting of uh, transportation time there, actually dealing with the crisis and then kind of putting yourself on the next call. Mm-hmm. So I would say at the bare minimum, each call is going to take us about an hour. If we if we're really proficient, mm-hmm. efficient, uh, there's there's not much more than just kind of talking. But sometimes if we have to do a hold, if we have to divert to a um, like an urgent care, um, if we have to get AMR or the right there, that's that takes a lot of your time. Yeah, that takes a lot of my time to not just uh, like facilitate them all responding, but then we have to wait for them and we're kind of sitting there. So I would say about mm-hmm. five or six a day. On a good day. Mm. 
So knowing what you know about the intervention, like, like all the reason why your program was created, do you feel like it's effective in reducing the stigma? True. Like what people feel about law enforcement, you're adding the mental health component to it to kind of help with that stigma in the community about law enforcement's always bad and always wanting to do, um, you know, intervene for no reason. And now you have this clinical therapist to help de-escalate situations and crisis calls. Do you feel like this is a huge step towards progress in the community, adding your piece to the law enforcement field? First of all, I want to say you guys are asking really good questions. I did not expect this. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> We're really smart. I don't know what you... <laughs> um, first of all, let me just say I have four pages of notes oh, prepared sure. to talk about <laughs> okay. at any given moment. And we're on line one. All right. Um, no. So, yeah. No, I absolutely. But I think it's such a... We're so behind the curve on everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even kind of comparing ourselves, which is not healthy but even comparing ourselves to other counties we, yeah. we see just how behind we are on mental health not services or like resources resources on every step of the way down from the highest level of care down to you know you you name it mm-hmm. i i could see it uh out in the field and it's it's frustrating but when we go to the house and we are interacting with the client and i see the initial um panic whether it's it's with the, within the family um, or whoever it, it is with, um, just their their kind of openness to talk to a therapist rather than law enforcement. Mm-hmm. It's it's like like what Bax was saying earlier. Like the vibe is is way different. So, immediately, immediately, yes. yeah. Just just the fact that I don't have a gun, the fact that I'm not mm-hmm. a sworn officer, not going to arrest them. I'm mm-hmm. not going to arrest them. Um, and it uh, it also helps that my job, my role, my entire mindset when I go into the call is completely different. So I'm not necessarily thinking safety, even though I am. Mm-hmm. Like even, I, mean, I think every job we work in, we're, we're always trying to be safe, but I know I have a, a armed guard, you know, five mm-hmm. feet from me. So mm-hmm. I could kind of let my guard down a little bit, which is helpful. Yeah. It's helpful for me to be, you know, vulnerable and open and be able to like sit next to the person. And kind build of like, rapport. Yeah, yeah, build that rapport. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, yeah. I could see it in the in the client and I could see them because because if my partner talks to them, he he has this a little bit of a distance and he's he's trying to maintain the safety boundary. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it, it that like fosters a an open talk. Mm-hmm. They're they're always gonna stay yeah. closed. So Yeah. Whew. Do you know much about this type of like co-responder model? Oh, just just a little bit of experience I got, but I, I do know that the program's relatively new for the most part. Um and I and I do know that just from speaking to my supervisors, speaking to other uh, coworkers, I know that part of our job it's kind of to be expected to not just respond to these crises, but to also educate the community and educate, you know, other clinicians because nobody really knows about what we're doing and we're really trying to like get our name out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've been to city hall and we've talked about what we offer and you know, how it's different nice. from a regular law enforcement. You know, we've been to the briefings and we, we kind of, I, I feel like I have to sell myself, but I, I'm sure Absolutely. that's just mental health in general right now. It's mm-hmm. even though mental health has been a thing since the beginning of time, I feel like mental health is kind of just becoming accepted mm-hmm. or like socially accepted in a way. Yeah. But knowledge is happening. Yeah, at least the like acceptance that people need help mm-hmm. and have trouble. Yeah. Um, I looked into it a little bit and it seems like so back in the eighties, Reagan can we can link so many of America's problems to that guy. But Reagan um cut a bunch of the federal budget for uh treatment of mental health. And so consequentially, a result was nine one one phone calls, because where do you go? when a family member or yourself is having a mental health crisis mm-hmm. well emergency services is who you call it and it turns into 911 calls um but this whole like co-responder model i guess like really started in LA County Sheriff's Department back in the 90s wow like the first first one it was called the mental evaluation team designed to address calls for service involving mental illnesses so 1991 is like kind of when it got started in America, LA always leading it. 
Um, I think it's interesting because one of the study, one of like the statistics I found was a recent study concluded that individuals with untreated mental illnesses are 16 times more likely to be killed during a police encounter. So I, I think it's interesting that we talk about like, oh, we need to help with this stigma. Um, the clinicians might be helpful with the stigma for police, but the statistics are real. Mm-hmm. The they stigma speak, might be they speak heavy, themselves. but the stats are real. Because <laughs> um, we, even with that, like they're 16 times more likely to be killed during a police encounter. Found that uh, although less than one in 50 adults has untreated severe mental illnesses, one in four fatal police shootings involve an individual with mental illness. Jeez. So even though they're not a quarter of the population, they're a quarter of the shootings. I, I, I don't think pretty it doesn't really surprise me. And it, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily blame mm-hmm. law enforcement. I think that they're, they have they have an impossible. Job There's a to lot. Do. There's mm-hmm. complex. That's complexities beyond yeah. my understanding. Yeah, they, they I mean, they're expected to have a thousand different hats on all day long. For sure. They mm-hmm. I heard a statistic while we were in briefing one day of by the end of their week, um, they kind of operate on what would be like an illegal um, intoxication for driving zero point eight or whatever that is. Because they're just mm-hmm. so overworked and they they work long shifts. They are expected mm-hmm. to be security and a therapist and, you know, all the above. And so mm-hmm. it's not their fault. They're expected to make split decisions with little information. And so to have a therapist with them that doesn't have to have that decision, I, I think they would save a lot of lives. I mean, it's. I, oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah. I th- isn't the number one um, killer of police uh, traffic? They're like their own traffic accidents during shifts. Traffic I think that that's a statistic. I know. Yeah. I know it's, it's up no, there. their traffic accidents. That's the leading cause of on the shift deaths by oh, a, of police. Them getting into an their oh, traffic wow. accidents. I never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I think that just kind of goes with what you just said about like where their heads at and what happens during the week and like what's going on with them internally. Yeah, I think this is a huge step into to solving some of these issues anyways, because having Mm -hmm. mental health, especially trained in mental health, can be able to help identify some of those things in the field and being able to look up, you know, was this client seen before at a mental health emergency room for any sort of mental illness and things Mm -hmm. like that. You can assess those situations before you get there so that you have the information because some people don't. I mean, if you get a call for someone who's schizophrenic and you never knew that they were schizophrenic, that would make your job even harder. Right. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And, and one of the things that we do too is, is educate the deputies. We educate the nurses, the doctors, all the people that yes. we, that we interact with because um, intervening in a, in a crisis is one thing, but a lot of times um, while my job is just to do the short term crisis, get you to the next level of care so that you're safe. I also want to make sure that when you do get there, whether it's ETS, whether it's the urgent care, wherever it is, that the person that's receiving you, that they're understanding of what's going on. And a lot of times the deputies might not have the terminology or they don't understand, you know, bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia or the signs or symptoms. And I might not either, but I, I, to, you know, to, to, well, I mean, I, what I mean is like, I'm not an, you should, (laughs) I'm not an expert in everything. You know what I mean? Like, just like, yeah, agreed, agreed. But I could I could at least have a conversation with the nursing staff or with the clinical therapist and describe what I'm seeing and what I'm worried about and the safety concerns and the criteria. And that way, when they because I say this all the time, when we take them to the higher level of care, they're going to probably present a hold, a hold, an involuntary hold. There we go. Fifty one fifty application. They're probably going to present well because the crisis is gone. They've now kind of settled. And so they know what to say now because they want to go home. They mm-hmm. don't want to be there. And it's scary. Fair. Yeah. And so. Those places are scary. They huh? are scary. I, I hate They're underfunded. Them. They're not as clean as they should be. Those places are scary. Yeah. But it's the only, that's, I think that's what you meant by lack of resources. If you look at the community nearby, like all mm-hmm. the different communities and how advanced they are in their level of resources and care, it's way different than what we have to offer in, you know, certain areas. Yeah. We're very limited uh, in our county. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't make the best of what we have. But, yeah, absolutely. But n- with knowing that information going in, I know that the client's going to present well. So I'm going to, 
make sure that whoever is accepting this person, that they know what's going on and they're, that they realize, because in all honesty, all what I have to go off of most time is the collateral. So it's what the other people mm-hmm. say, because if I go off what the client says, they're probably going to tell me what I want to hear. I'm fine. Everything's good. Well, if everything's good, you wouldn't be calling 911. I wouldn't be standing right. here. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, same with the the oncoming staff, you know, they don't know. All they know is what you tell them. So they're, they're going to let, yeah. and it's this, it's this process that just keeps repeating. They go mm-hmm. and then they get released within an hour or two and then get called. Yeah. I know. I know. Cause so often it gets called a 72 hour hold and I always correct people like up to 72 hours, like not a minimum. What, um, the training that you had to go under to be certified, to be able to do those holds and complete those applications. What did you feel about that training? Mm-hmm. Was it, did it, I, I asked that, that question to say, did you feel like it was right? Yeah. <laughs> did you feel like it prepared you? Um, was it enough? Yes, it, it prepared me in terms of knowing what I have to do. But I, I honestly mm-hmm. wish that if if I had my say, I, I would go for a week of just training to just do these holds and get put in scenarios where I'm running a hold under the supervision of somebody that's been doing it for years. And not only so they could critique what I'm doing, but they could see how I do it because I think the training had you do like maybe one hold of each. So DTS, DTO, and GD. And nobody really critiqued it. It was just, I was just at my mm-hmm. place. I showed it to my supervisor and, you know, they gave me points and whatnot, but it, I think honestly that comes down to funding as well. They don't have the resources or the funding to send me for a week to, to do that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, who, they, who they might have yeah. The yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, they do. <laughs> um, don't even get me started on funding, but right. yes, they do. Uh, so G get for the people, tell us the three uh, stipulations for the hold. Yeah. The three different criteria. criteria. So, yeah. So, it's DTO, DTS, and GD. So, which well, DTO is danger to others. DTS is danger to self. And then GD is grave disability. Um, and what's grave disability? Grave disability. So, unable to provide food, water, or shelter. Um, For themselves, right? Due to a mental health, um, you know, criteria. So, it couldn't be like... Which one do you feel like you see the most? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're fine. You're fine. The, 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 I'm glad you interrupted because the example was bad anyways. So... The honestly, it, I, I, I honestly, it, it's kind of funny. The the holds kind of come in waves. We'll have like mm-hmm. DTO, 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 DTS, DTS. Like, there's really no rhyme or reason behind mm-hmm. our holds. Um, if I'm being honest, I probably say I probably see GD the least, just because of mm-hmm. the population that I work in. But then I have other clinicians that I work with that see GD the most i mean they very rarely mm. write holds for anything else but gd um in my role i saw grave disability the most yeah. when i would write a hold so those were yeah. the things and, and it's only because of where i'm located and what i what type of clinical therapy that i do provide that i see mm. that the most i think it really depends on the area and where these things are happening right Abs- would absolutely you say? absolutely i think yeah. Danger to self is probably where I see the most because of the population I'm dealing with a, maybe a higher income. And so I'm dealing with more depression, anxiety, um, people that have just lost their business. And now they're, you know, kind of considering, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I don't know what to do. I've been, I've been making six figures my whole life and I just lost it all. And so that's when we intervene because a family member hasn't heard from them in a few days. And now we, you know, we, yeah. we go from there. So tell me why gravely disabled, unable to take care of food, clothing, and housing needs. Tell me why you couldn't drive up and down. Um, what is that street in LA? Um, what's that homeless that that incredibly like famous Skid Row? Oh, like Skid Row. Skid Row. Tell me why you couldn't drive up and down that street and write holds all day. You could. Why doesn't America care about that? You could, and I think that that. One, there's a lot of resources being allocated to Skid Row. So I think that that's one alleviation. I know a lot of people go out there and do ministry work. Well, I mean, people still live there, so it can't be enough resources. It, but that. more than most. And so the people that usually come into contact with us that need some sort of support because of grave disability come in also in addition with a mental health issue. 
So it's not just that because of their mental health issue and the and them coming to seek services or them causing some sort of disruption, causing somebody else to call law enforcement or get mental health clinicians involved is the only reason why we're encountering these people. If they went okay. on about their business and walking up and down the street in the, in the homeless encampments and they weren't causing any sort of disruption or or mm. any sort of not being able to keep the peace then there would be no intervention. And I think so they're getting holds for being a nuisance? Not <laughs> all of them. Some of them no. can be. Not all of them are like that, but you know, for example, I had somebody who um didn't really know where she was. Ended up ended up at the location I was at. And then because nothing about what she was saying made sense and that there was a lot of other issues like they couldn't, she couldn't find her medication. She was on substances, like everything kind of built up. Somebody dropped her off at my location for resources mm. and yeah. it turned into that. So I think if there is some sort of encounter with a public agency that would cause concern, that's mostly the reason why people like law enforcement or uh, therapists in different agencies get involved. And I mm. think which is really sad to say the only the only help they get is when they are for lack of better words disturbing the peace yeah right well yeah now that you're a problem for somebody else um alex tell us okay you talked a little bit about the training tell me what you think in regards to the whole training okay as a educated mental health specialist you had to undergo this training what do you think about the fact that police don't have to be certified in those holds? Oh, uh-oh. Or go through that training? Uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Okay, here I'm going to try to tread lightly a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of my holds, just kind of hit on it, all of my holds get sent to an LPS facility. I have to send it every, every hold that I write. And from my understanding, two clinical therapists, uh, so CT2s have to read my holds. And they pretty much make sure that all my criteria is met, as well as I'm not writing a um, a hold that is you know illegal, because um, it, it could happen whether I, I mess something up or I, of course. you know, I I thought I saw something I didn't. So that is kind of helpful for the checks and balances part of my job. I can make sure that I'm doing my job um, because I'm you know I, I feel like I get people to get complaints in. Now the law enforcement side, they don't have that. They don't have any checks and balances. It kind of just goes into the wherever they write the hold. It gets sent to the sergeant to get signed off, and then the only time it'll get brought up again is if it gets brought up in court. So, with that said, I do think that the training would be helpful, and they have somewhat of training. They have like a what I think it's called CIT training um, at the well, I can't say the name of it, but at, at a training facility. <laughs> Uh, they have MHIT training that is out in LA. That's very helpful for the law enforcement partners as well as the clinicians. But as far as them writing their own holds and their training, I don't think they get they get any. I think they just. And I think that might be one of the reasons why your program is being introduced uh, uh, to be a very absolutely. helpful component to that absolutely. piece of that. And and so part of my, my part of my job as well is. Is not just to write these holds and go into the community, but I, I attend these briefings with the law enforcement partners. I, I go to the, the five o'clock briefings, the, you know, the seven o'clock brief, you know, all the different briefings from the different watches. And we kind of review these holds. So in the morning, so typically on Mondays when I come in, I'll have a, a fat stack of papers uh, you know, <laughs> fat <stack. laughs> uh, either by my desk or, or on my desk. And it's the holds from the, the weekends or the months prior. And I go through them and I review them and anything that kind of seems like, you know, that stands out, I'll take note and I will kind of put that on my to-do list to kind of address with the different deputies, because I want to make sure that if we're writing holds, not just for the safety of ourselves, not just so that we could cover our own butts, but so that the community is not getting put on a hold just because they're being annoying or because they're, they're loud or they're a nuisance, like you were saying, like it's, it's because they, they really do need the help and they need a higher level of care that, that they're not receiving. So. How does that feedback usually go over with with officers? It's like it's, a critique, like, "Hey, man, this wasn't a good one." I I think that it, it it's on a, a bunch of factors. One, 
my partner is amazing. I don't, I don't think I would stay in this job if my partner wasn't the best partner I've ever had. Um, so okay, easy. No, for <laughs> for <laughs> real. so to have that kind of like I, I have that clout coming in to to so that they listen. But then okay, yeah, reputation, the reputation because they they listen yeah. to him, and because it's coming okay. from his group, they're going to listen to me. But also, I don't attack anybody personally. It's more of a general, vague training. Um, I, I would say if I had to generalize, I would say more of the younger deputies are open to it. Where you're, you're when you look mm. at the older corporals, sergeants, lieutenants, all them, they might be more resistant Boomers. to kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they might be more resistant to like this <laughs> mental health. It's kind of like oh, it's new. Know? Yeah, it's, everything's mental health. I hear I get that, that every day. <laughs> I hear yeah, that every day. That's so stupid. Shut up. Well, this is one very enlightening podcast. Well, I was going to talk about uh, because we brought up L.A. County earlier um, and something I looked when I was looking into it was a huge reaction, at least in the state of California, for a bunch of different counties after uh, George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. Or well, George Floyd's murder, but um, there was like a huge reaction post that on these different counties doing the co-responder model. Um, and then I app went down the rabbit hole, of course, and I found this one story which is so sad. Um, but it was in Nevada County or Nevada, I don't know, Nevada County, but it was in California, and they Nevada. had created the co-responder. What? No, I was just I love the way you said Nevada. Nevada. How do you say it? Nevada. Nevada. That's what I said. God. Nevada County. Anyway, they cre- so they created this program in October 2020, right? But then February 2021, this this part I think is really complicated, okay? There was an issue. There was a story. Some, I, or not a story. There was a problem and a call in. Someone called in. This woman walking down the street. I don't really know exactly why it got called in, but um, she was walking with her two kids. And two officers respond, and the entire interaction is 90 seconds long. Um, I think she immediately starts saying something about don't take my kids or whatever and um, has a knife in her hand and starts to approach one or co- go after him. However, the, the his partner shoots her in the back with a taser, and that does not take her down. Mm-hmm. She turns around to go after him. And then the inner initial guy shoots her in the back and kills her. Jeez. I vaguely remember this video floating around. Well, I don't – oh, God. I, if that's a video, that's so horrible. But what's really bad about it is um, when I looked more into it, what's really sad is the reason because they had this team, right? They had this, this setup from October, and this was just February. So, like, a few months later, one of the – because there was a two-person co-responder team. One of them had gone home sick, and so they were unable to respond yeah. to that call. Oh. And it when I read that, all I was thinking about, because I, I talked to social workers a lot about, um, you know, being able to take off time and turn your phone off and really stop the work or whatever, and that weird type of helping professional guilt that we get. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, no, if I don't do it, no one else will. And we try to talk to mm-hmm. each other and say like, no, there's someone else who can do it for you, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Maybe the way that I interact with people will save a life because our jobs can become so quickly about life and death. And that's a whole And that person went home guilt. sick. Can you imagine that? Oh, my God. I mean, maybe the same, it could have easily had been the same outcome had that person not got homesick, but maybe not. And you would just have to live with that forever. Like that's that type of guilt that I don't know how, I don't know how to deal with it because I do that too. So I guess this leads into the question of how do you deal with all the crisis calls that you encounter every day and what kind of self-care tips can you provide for people who deal with crisis like you? Okay. So self-care is... I'm the worst at it. I think every (laughs) professional would say that they struggle as well. Um, It's helpful for me because I still have supervision. So I actually get to two hours a a week at the very minimum where I get to interact with other CTs Mm. and we get to, whether it's vent, unload, just talk about our cases, that's, that helps us process. Mm -hmm. Um, But then too, I'm also in a car for 10 hours a day with another human being where we're going through the same thing and we're, we're, whether we laugh about it, whether we 
cry about it, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's, we kind of go through the same thing and you, you trauma bond, if, if you want yeah. to call it that. And it's very yeah. helpful to have somebody else that, that, you know, um, understands that understands. And we kind of, we are able to kind of push it through each other's perspective because he has a completely different perspective and I get to learn from him and he gets to learn from me. And I, I, I mean, I don't know how a, how a CT could do this on their own. I don't think it would be possible. Mm -hmm. I think the amount mm -hmm. of trauma that we see um, mm -hmm. is just, it's like almost unreal. I feel like I kind of disassociate at times and I won't even realize until I am in supervision and I'm talking about a, a case. And I'll sometimes I kind of just feel weird afterward. I'm just like, why did I, mm -hmm. why did I like, why was I shaking? I'm not, I wasn't nervous. You know, I wasn't, you know, it, but I just felt like it was just coming out of my body. Um, yeah. But in the moment, you don't think about it. You're like, oh, that was just another another crisis call. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, and your body processes it yeah. later. Yeah, exactly. And I, I might come home. I won't say anything. I won't even think about it again. And then during supervision, we all kind of share our our stories. I'll I'll be like, you know, I have a call, and then I'll just come out. I'm like, oh wow, I really did block that. So um, mm -hmm. I think just finding the people for self care, finding the people around you, like what you guys are Support. doing. Yeah, you guys are you know just with the podcast, being able to talk about it, laugh about it. Um, that's super helpful. And that's that dark humor runs pretty deep oh, around here. Oh, well. It gets you through it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. That was a lot. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't thanks talk for, more. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> we would love to have you on our podcast and another time talking about being a male therapist. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. Maybe another time. Depends <laughs> on how Bex feels about him after this. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. We've come <laughs> the beginning started rough. Well, straight man, damn it. <laughs> and that's a wrap right, for guys. episode four. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap for today's topic. If you want to stay in the loop of anything new and exciting happening with this crazy duo, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Clinically Impressed. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to stay connected, stay hydrated, and always practice safe social work. Bye.